Good morning. How are you guys today? It's good to see you. Thanks for coming up. I want you to take a look at the Advent wreath. Some of you might remember every year during the Advent season, we review all the wonderful pictures that are on the Advent wreath to teach us very wonderful lessons about our God and his love for us. So first of all, what shape is an Advent wreath? Who knows what shape an Advent wreath is? It's a circle. Now, when you draw a circle on a piece of paper, you start the pen or the pencil or the crayon, and then you go and you try to end right where you started. And if you do it really well, it's super hard to tell where you started and where you ended, right? Because it just keeps going around and around and around. A circle, in theory, has no beginning and no end. It's impossible with a perfect circle to tell exactly where the circle starts and where the circle ends. Did you know that a circle is a picture of God's love for us? It has no beginning. It has no end. God's love for us is awesome. Then you'll notice most wreaths around the Christmas season are made out of evergreen branches. And a lot of times we refer to trees that have pine needles as evergreen trees, because in the fall, we just had fall, right? And what happened to all the big leaf trees? All the leaves fell down, right? But pine trees, they usually don't drop their needles, do they? They keep them on the tree, and they're always green. That's why we call them evergreen. That's a picture of eternal life. Even though pine trees don't live forever, the trees that have Leaves that stay green all year round are a reminder that Jesus means we will live forever. And then you look and you see a candle, and what's on top of that candle closest to us? There's one little flame. And every time there's a flame of fire, there's also light. That's a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world, the light shining in the darkness. It's one of the cool things about Christmas lights We always like Christmas lights when? In the dark, because they're little lights shining in the darkness. Today we lit the first candle, that's called the prophecy candle. It reminds us that we recognize Jesus as our Savior because God told us what to look for. That's called prophecy. In the Old Testament, God prophesied this is what the Savior is going to look like. He's going to be born of a virgin, born of a woman who never was with a man. It was a miracle. God told us that would happen. God told us Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and he was born exactly where God said he would be born. Those are just two prophecies God made about Jesus. There's many, many more. The prophecy candle reminds us that we recognize Jesus because God told us what to look for. Let's say a prayer and ask God to help use a picture like the Advent wreath to help us better understand Christmas. Dear Jesus, we thank you for pictures. You often taught your people with parables, which were pictures with words. And sometimes we can use pictures here in this life to help us better understand your great love for us, the eternal life that you have won for us, the fact that you are the light shining in this world filled with sin and and death and that you are our Savior because you have fulfilled all prophecy about you. Dear Lord, this Advent season, prepare our hearts. Help us to better appreciate who you are and what you've come to do 
and what you've come to be, our Savior from sin, death, and hell. Lead us to, to celebrate your birth with joyful hearts this Christmas season. In your name we pray, amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The portion of God's word that we focus on comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the gospel of our Lord. Some lessons you need to learn firsthand. For three years, Jesus had been teaching us that he was in complete control. but we hadn't quite come to understand just how in control he is. As we were approaching Jerusalem that last time, he sent me and and one of the others down to the village nearby to get this colt. And he told us exactly what to expect. He said, As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. And that's exactly what happened. We went down into the village, and as soon as we entered the village, there it was, the colt that he had talked about. And no sooner had my hand begun untying the rope that held it to the post... Then some concerned citizens said, hey, what are you you doing? And we said exactly what Jesus said. The Lord needs it, and he'll send it back right away. And they let us go. Now, I bet I know what you're thinking, because it's the same thing I was thinking at first. This was amazing. It was incredible that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen when we got into that village. He knew where the cult would be. He knew what the people were going to say. He knew what it would take for them to let us leave. But it wasn't until a few weeks later that I began to fully wrap my head around exactly what happened that day. And it all has to do with that little thing that he told us to say. The Lord needs it. 
Jesus had never needed anything in his entire life. And yet there he did. He needed the colt. <laughs> Even more amazing, he needed me to go get it for him. He needed me to go get the colt and bring the colt back to him. This is an amazing thing. That the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who gave something, would need it so that it could be given back to him. The one who came to serve others would provide an opportunity for others to serve him. What a remarkable thing. And how humble, too, all at the same time. He needed to borrow a colt because he didn't have one of his own. The prophet Zechariah had promised that this would happen. In, in Zechariah chapter 9, the prophet said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus needed this to happen. He needed it to happen just this way. He needed me to serve him in this way. He needed the owners of the colt to serve him by allowing us to take it. He needed the colt to allow him to ride into Jerusalem on it. He needed this so that he could humbly and yet boldly say, I'm the king. I'm the king that Zechariah promised. I'm the king righteous and victorious. But you see, his idea of victory was different than ours. He rode into Jerusalem and his victory was won on a cross. His victory looked like defeat. But it wasn't. He won his victory over sin on that cross. He won his victory over Satan on that cross. And then three days later, he victoriously walked out of a tomb, victorious over even death itself. Jesus needed. And the crowds shouted, Hosanna, save us. We just had no idea how intent he was on doing just that. I had a little fun this week trying to put myself in the shoes of one of these two mystery disciples. We don't know who they were. We don't know how long these guys lived after Jesus ascended into heaven. But we can be sure that every year following Jesus' glorious ascension into heaven, they celebrated on the Sunday following the Passover. We could be sure that they celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, their victorious king, year after year. And I bet you they celebrated his birth, too. 
Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they have celebrated the birth of their king? What do you think their celebration of his birth was like? As disciples like this one, one of the two who went to fetch the colt, helped others, new Christians, people who were new to the faith, who who hadn't been there that day, people they got to tell about Jesus. How do you think they helped people prepare for the celebration of Christmas? Do you think it was possible for their Christmas celebrations to be thrown off because the the decor on on the coffee cup was a little more of a holiday vibe than a Christmas one? You think it was possible for their Christmas celebrations to be thrown off because the hymns that were picked on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day weren't quite right? You think it was possible for them to to get so caught up in all the work that needed to be done preparing for the celebration of the birth that they completely forgot what the Lord needed so that he could satisfy their greatest need? Well, sure, it was possible because they were all sinners just like you and me. You and I face some unique pressures in this American Christmas culture. You have expectations. So do I. You expect your Christmas season to go a certain way. You expect it to look a certain way. You probably expect it to smell a certain way. You have expectations from years of living life, from years of enjoying the most wonderful time of the year. And if you're honest, it's very easy for you to forget what's needed. It is very easy for you and it's very easy for me to forget what Jesus needed. It might seem strange to you that we would begin the church year, that we would begin the Advent season with Palm Sunday. But theologically, it makes all the sense in the world. It makes all the sense in the world because you and I need to look again at whose birth we're about to celebrate. We are about to celebrate the birth of the king. The king of heaven and earth. The Lord of life himself the one who rode into Jerusalem toward a cross, toward a cross where he would win the ultimate victory over sin and Satan, toward a tomb out of which he would walk victorious over death. We are about to celebrate the birth of the king. It is okay to have expectations It is okay to love Christmas. But let's be on guard this year. Let's be on guard against anything that Satan would try to use to rob us of a most wonderful celebration. Let's be on guard against anything that seems needed for Christmas to be Christmas that really has nothing to do with Christmas at all. Let's remember that the Lord had need 
to prove to you and to prove to me that he is exactly the savior we need. He is the savior foretold by the prophet Zechariah, the king. I look forward to once again journeying with you toward Christmas through this Advent season where we will celebrate the most significant birth in the history of the world, the birth of King Messiah. Amen.